Well, welcome again to King's Cross Church. We are in Galatians chapter 4 today, and if you're new with us this morning or if you haven't been here for a while, we've been walking through Paul's letter to the Galatians, and a little history, a little overview is that the Apostle Paul went and planted this church in Galatia in modern-day Turkey. He preached the gospel, the pure and simple gospel of salvation by God's grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. But not long after he left, some people whom he calls troublemakers came in, and they started adding to that gospel. They started saying, no, it's not just faith in Jesus that you need. You also have to obey these parts of the Old Testament law. The technical name for these folks is Judaizers because they were adding the Jewish law to the requirements for salvation. And so Paul has spent the first three and a half chapters of Galatians responding to them, telling, no, that is not the gospel. You do not have to add anything to God's grace received through faith. This morning in Galatians 4, 8 through 11, we're gonna see him continue to implore the Galatians not to turn back Not to turn back to the slavery of having to do and to work in order to come into a right relationship with God. Again, Galatians 4, verses 8 through 11. I will read God's word for us this morning. But in the past, since you didn't know God, (coughs) you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. But now, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You're observing special days and months, seasons and years. I am fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. This is the word of the Lord. Every person has moments in life that serve as a sort of line in the sand. Moments before which you were one thing and after which you were another thing. Again, many of us witnessed one of those yesterday with a a marriage. Before marriage, you're one thing, and after the wedding ceremony, you become something totally different. Uh, In my life, I've, in addition to my own marriage, I've experienced some of these. Of course, having kids is a thing that changes your life. People sometimes ask, you know, how has it been different having children? And the last three years and change in some ways has been such a blur that I already don't really remember what life was like before children. Some of you can empathize with that experience. Another experience like this for me was when I was dropped off at college. My parents drove me down here from Lexington, Kentucky to Lipscomb University and you know, we got my dorm loaded up and they dropped me off and said goodbye with an embarrassing amount of tears on their part. I was just trying to pull away from them, but it, I did feel the sense of this is a new thing. There's new freedom, there's new responsibility. I'm living in a different place for my parents for the first time. Some of these lines in the sand type of moments are not as positive. Uh, maybe it's been a diagnosis or a death in a family. I remember very distinctly, I was eight or nine years old, and we were on a family trip to Chicago, and we had been at dinner somewhere downtown, and we're walking and, and sitting in a park, and I saw an elderly woman, the first time I'd ever seen anything like this, walk up to a garbage can and start rifling through, and she pulled out a to-go box of food that somebody had thrown away and sat down on a bench and started eating it. And at eight years old, that rocked my world. I'd, I'd never seen anything like that. I didn't know that anybody needed food and, and couldn't access it. And it, it changed the way, even from that young age, that I saw the world. Well, Paul adds to this list of markers in the sand. He says that before you became a Christian, you were one thing, and after, you're, you're something totally different. He gives us this before and after ceremony. In the past, you used to be like this. I wonder if you were to fill in the blank, how would you 
how would you fill it in? Before I was a Christian, my life was, some of you were, became Christians at such a young age that you don't even know how to answer that question, right? It's like, I've never known a time when I wasn't aware of God's love for me, and that's wonderful. Praise God. That is a, an amazing testimony to God's faithfulness. But others of you might say, before I was a Christian, my life was lonely, or my life was empty. <clears throat> my life was chaotic, or dark, or tragic. Paul says to the Galatians, before you knew God, you were enslaved. Now, I'm not going to give a whole overview again of the type of slavery that he's talking about because we've talked about it several times in Galatians. We talked about it last week, and you can listen to that sermon online if you need it. But the brief overview is that Paul has said that they were in slavery. He actually said last week, we were in slavery to the elements. This word elements, again, he's referring to sort of spiritual powers that exist, dark spiritual powers, Satan, demons, the enemies of God and God's people. And Paul says, before Christ, we, referring to himself and other Jewish people, were enslaved to the elements through the Old Testament law. And we asked last week, wait a second, the law is from God. The law is good. How could you be enslaved to Satan through the law? And the answer is that what God meant as a good gift to guide the way that people lived, to reveal to them their need for a savior, Satan used instead to condemn them. He twisted the good gift that God had given them, and they became enslaved. But this morning, in our, in our text this morning, he says, you were enslaved. So here he's talking to the Galatians. They're not coming from a Jewish background. They, never, they didn't grow up with the, the Old Testament law. They grew up in pagan religious practices. And so he says, we were enslaved through the law, but you were enslaved to things that are not by nature God's. It's the same elements but in this case, the case of these non-Jewish Galatians, they were enslaved through their pagan religious practices. It's interesting that the same elements worked through both the Old Testament law and pagan religions, which is to say that to attempt through any means whatsoever to justify yourself before God to be vindicated that you are living a good enough life, to attempt through any means to do that by your own efforts is to be enslaved. But now, Paul says, something has happened. Now you know God, or rather are known by him. There's this line in the sand. There's a new day. Their life has changed. It's interesting that Paul says uh, that, that now you know God, or rather have become known by God. What, what does that or rather mean? Well, Paul is not denying. He's not saying, never mind, scratch that, you don't know God. What he's saying is that in an even more remarkable sense, you are known by God. Now, that might not land on us immediately because we think, well, God knows everything. So what's remarkable about God knowing us? The, Paul is using the word know or known here in a way that the Bible often uses it, which is to refer not to intellectual knowledge, but this intimate, experiential, relational knowledge of another person. This phrase is actually used euphemistically in the Bible in reference to married couples. Adam knew his wife Eve and she became pregnant and had a child. It's picturing the, the most intimate of relationships. It's like you would say if somebody asked you about where you grew up, you would say, I know that place like the back of my hand, right? You may not even know all the street names. You may not know, you know, even if you're in the north or south or east or west part of town, but you can tell somebody how to get to your friend's house, right? Cutting through the neighborhood and going across this street and that street, you know the place like the back of your hand. That's what Paul is saying about God and us. God knows you and loves you intimately and deeply and fully. 
And Paul says that's changed everything for you. And Galatians so far has just been outlining all the benefits of being known by God. First and foremost, that you're not enslaved anymore, but you're free now. You've been freed from your slavery. Second, that you've been justified by faith in Christ. Remember, we're all trying to justify ourselves every day by our own works, by our own effort. We're trying to to receive that sense of validation in our lives that we are enough. And, And Paul has told us that's been taken care of for you, not because you were good enough, but because Christ was good enough in your place. Christ died for you, and so you have full and free access to God. Not only have you been justified by Christ, but you've been united to Christ, right? Paul says, Christ lives in me. His spirit lives in me, which means that not only are you united to Christ, but as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, you have this radically new community where you're united with everybody else who is united with Christ across racial lines and class lines and gender lines. And Paul asks, in light of all these benefits, why in the world would you turn back to slavery? You've been set free. Why would, this is so much better. Why would you turn back? You put it that way, it seems kind of silly. But I, I want to treat this question, how can you turn back this morning, not as a rhetorical question. I want to actually try to get under the hood and ask, why would they turn back? Why would we turn back? Back to that earlier fill-in-the-blank question, before I was a Christian, my life was, I want to add an answer, and that is that before I was a Christian, my life was easier. You think that's a really bad pitch for Christianity, Taylor. Uh, I'm not saying it was better. It wasn't better. But before I was a Christian, my life was easier. It was simpler. It was way less complex and complicated. Before I was a Christian, I woke up in the mornings and I had no doubt about who I was going to listen to that day. I was going to listen to myself. I woke up and I knew that I was the king of my own life and my own kingdom. And I was going to spend that day trying to build my own kingdom. And I wasn't listening to any external authority. I was listening to my desires. I was listening to my heart. And I was doing whatever I wanted. And at the end of the day, when I laid my head down on my pillow, I might have felt happy or sad. I might have felt at peace or really angry. I might have hurt somebody or been hurt by somebody that day. But I knew that I was simply going to try to build my own kingdom. And now my life is so much more complicated than that. Now I have the Holy Spirit in me, which Paul is going to tell us later in Galatians means that there's these two impulses constantly at war with one another inside of me. The spirit and the flesh are going to battle all the time. My affections are divided. My loyalties are divided. I want to obey Jesus. I want him to be my king, but I also still want to be the king of my own kingdom. And so constantly I'm asking, what's the best thing to do here? Which desires need to be suppressed and which ones need to, you know, have the, the, the flame fanned? Which, what does it mean to, to be wise, to walk in, you know, the wisdom from above, as the Bible puts it, versus worldly wisdom and, and just my own opinions? It's complicated. When you are walking in the complexity of faith, the clarity of slavery can be surprisingly compelling. When you're walking in the complexity of faith, the clarity of slavery can be surprisingly compelling. We see this various places through the Bible. One is the entire book of Hebrews. Go home and read Hebrews this week. It's all about Jewish Christians who were feeling the pressure of their Jewish community to turn back to the old ways. And the author just basically writes down a sermon for them and says, don't do it. Don't turn back. And one of my, one of my favorite parts of, uh, of Hebrews is when the author says, you're not even bleeding yet. <laughs> He's like, you've not even shed blood yet. Come on, let's, you can do this. 
Don't turn back, even though it would be simpler. The other place you see it more dramatically portrayed is in the book of Exodus. God has freed his people literally, tangibly from slavery, right? They're under this harsh taskmaster who makes them build bricks without giving them straw. And God dramatically defeats Egypt and Pharaoh and frees them. And he's, he's going to walk them through the wilderness to the promised land. And they've barely been out a couple days when they start complaining because they don't know where their next meal is going to come from. They don't know where water is going to come from. And so they start asking Moses, basically telling Moses to tell God, why did you bring us out here just to kill us? Like, if you wanted to kill us, you could have done that back in slavery. And they start, you know, just, just building up what slavery used to be like, right? They're like, we had, full, we had these big steaks and wine and fish, and we had the best. No, they didn't. They had, like, moldy bread and nasty water. But they're just reimagining how slavery was as if it was the best thing ever. Why? Because walking by faith in the wilderness and not knowing how God was going to provide was complicated. It was hard. It was challenging. We see the same thing here, and I think the same thing in our lives. And there's three ways that I think if we can get under the surface in Galatians 4, that we see this temptation to go back to slavery, three ways where it would be easier. The first is it would give social security. I don't mean social security in the sense that we mean it as Americans. I mean it would literally give them a security in their social standing with other people. N.T. Wright, in his commentary on Galatians, I think does a good job of setting the cultural and social context of this church. Remember, this is Roman Empire, okay? And in the Roman Empire, everybody had to worship the Roman gods. Everybody had to worship the Roman deities. Part of being a good citizen meant worshiping the Roman gods. Why? Because it was not like today where we try to divide the secular and the sacred. The Roman people believed that their gods were very involved in everything that happened on a daily basis. And so if people didn't worship them, bad things might happen to Rome. And so everybody had to participate in the official state religion. But there was one exception, and it was for Jewish people. Because they kind of kept to themselves and had their own way of life, and they didn't harm anybody, and they didn't bother anybody, the Roman authorities said, okay, as long as you pay your taxes, you can just kind of do your own thing and worship your God and, and do whatever. Well, which category did the Galatians fall into? Neither. <laughs> they're, not, they're not Romans. They're not worshiping the Roman gods. But they also don't get the, the exception clause that the Jews get. They're not able to worship their God freely. And so they're, they're stuck in the middle, and they're feeling the pressure from both sides. They're culturally homeless. And this actually historically plays out in couple of dramatic ways. One, in AD 64, there was a huge fire in the city of Rome. And the Roman emperor Nero, who was crazy, some people think that he may have actually started the fire himself, he needed a scapegoat. He needed somebody to blame it on. And who did he blame it on? He blamed it on Christians. It's this, it's this new crazy sect that doesn't participate in our worship. They don't worship our gods. They hate Rome. So it must have been them who, you know, burnt down half the city. And then, you know, 300 and some years after that, the Roman Empire has become officially Christian, but the Roman Empire is also falling. Like, it's, it's falling apart as people are attacking, and it leads St. Augustine to write The City of God. And the full name of that book is The City of God Against the Pagans. People leave off that part of the translation because it sounds so combative. What was Augustine's point? He was writing to defend Christianity because the sort of old guard of Rome was saying, the reason our empire is falling is because you all stopped worshiping the Roman gods. Because we started worshiping this guy, Jesus, and started ignoring the gods, the gods are punishing us. And they're tearing apart our empire. 
So you can imagine the the cross pressures that these Galatian Christians felt from both Rome on the one hand and from the Jewish people on the other, and you can imagine how compelling it would be for Jewish Christians, supposedly coming on the authority of Peter, James, and John, although Paul corrects that, they come along and they say, if you just obey these laws, if you just take on these identity markers, if you just do these certain things in addition, if you just become Jewish in addition to becoming Christian, then you'll be a real Christian. And by the way, you'll get Rome off your back. Wouldn't that be so much easier? And that feeling feels so familiar to me. We get this in our day, don't we? Where do we, where do we hear it? We hear it probably the most significantly when it comes to our sexual ethic as Christians. And we're told that, geez, you can worship Jesus, you can believe the Bible, whatever, but what, if you just change on this couple of things, if you just stop being so exclusive and open up a little bit in this way, then people won't hate you and you can be accepted socially and still be a Christian. Uh, similarly, just our, our general approach to the exclusivity of the gospel, that Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's a radically offensive thing to say to people. And we hear and we feel the pressure of like, man, what? just be a Christian, but just be more open to other religions. Don't all roads lead to God? And if we would just accept that idea, maybe we wouldn't feel so culturally homeless. We feel it politically. Uh, my entire life as an adult, I have felt so politically homeless, just personally speaking. And I look as a Christian to the left and I see some things that I really appreciate and some things that I think would, would you know, cause me to, to basically deny some of my core beliefs. And I look to the right and I see some things that I really appreciate and some things that I think would make me sacrifice some of my core beliefs. And then I see some things that I think they both do terribly, right? What does that mean? It means every election season, I feel grieved by the fact that I, I don't feel at home anywhere. And, and you hear the pressure of, if you would just ignore some of these things and jump on board with some of these, you would have a home. You would have some place where you could feel at rest. You would have a, a, a group that you could belong to and you wouldn't feel so stuck in the middle. That sense of, of being stuck in the middle, culturally homeless, comes at us from both sides. The second reason I think the Galatians were tempted to go back to slavery is the desire for moral and theological clarity. Turning back to slavery would have given them moral and theological clarity. Now, to be clear, the Bible and the Christian tradition are totally clear on some things. Right? There are some things that we have been clear about for 2,000 years, and we have, to be, we have to continue to be clear about, but there are other things that are gray. And for the Galatians, what was it? It was, should we obey these Jewish laws? Should we obey the dietary laws? Should we keep the Sabbaths? Then what about all the moral laws of the Old Testament? And Paul and other apostles come in saying things like, well, you need to do the moral stuff, but the ceremonial stuff, the civil stuff, you don't have to do that anymore. And that's just complicated. And it would have been so much easier for them to just dispense with God's law altogether and say, I can live however I want, or to take on the whole thing and say, I have to obey all of this to be accepted by God. In our day, there are things that we have to be clear about, right? The core doctrinal issues of our faith, the core moral and ethical issues of our faith, but then there's so much else that we don't have clarity about, right? There's, and there's even stuff that like we agree in principle, but then when we start to try to work it out, we're just at each other's throats because we don't have 
clarity. Every Christian, every genuine Christian, believes that racism is bad. But then you get two people in the room and you ask them what to do about it, and all of a sudden, people are saying the other person's you know, not even a Christian and they've denied the faith. Go back to 2020 and COVID lands, right? And gee, if, if you do or don't wear a mask, you know, I, I've heard people say things like, if you wear a mask, you're, you're bowing to Caesar. And I've heard other people say, if you don't wear a mask, you have blood on your hands. Those are pretty, pretty harsh statements, right? Do you get a vaccine or do you not? Do you, like all of these things, who do you vote for? I mean, again, it's... It's happening again where I'm seeing people that I have respected start talking publicly as if there were only one option for faithful Christians. And that's just not, that's not true. But that desire for clarity, right? It's just, it's easier to elevate our opinions to the level of primary doctrine and to treat people who disagree with us as if they've left the faith than it is to just walk by faith and hold on to what we know and be open about the rest, and when, not just are we tempted to treat others like that, but when others treat us like that, it is so disorienting. And we may want to just ease the tension and the pressure, either by just throwing out God's law altogether or by becoming legalists and going back to slavery. The third reason I think that they were tempted to go back to slavery is just for comfort. It wasn't just social security at play for the Galatians. It was a desire not to get fired from their jobs. It was a desire to be able to continue to participate in the groups and the societies and the things that they had belonged to, to not get ostracized by their family, to be able to put food on the table. They could have been comfortable again, but it would have come at the cost of their freedom. And I think the same thing may be true of us now. The freedom of the gospel does cost us comfort. It costs us sometimes family relationships. It costs us some of our dreams and desires, it's, it's uncomfortable. Just generally trying to fight sin and not live however we want to live is uncomfortable. Again, walking by faith is not easy. It's hard. And it demands a great deal of trust in God and faith that if you obey him and cling to the gospel, that nothing is going to fully or finally harm you. It may be hard in this life, but it will be taken care of in the long term. And believing that isn't always easy. Paul uses this phrase uh, in verse 9, turn back. How could you turn back to those things? It's interesting. This is a, this is a conversion word. It's a repentance word. It's, it's a word that's used in the book of Acts to refer to people turning to Christ and being saved, which means that Paul is talking here about nothing less than deconversion. And he's saying that if the Galatians take on this law, they may not realize it, but they are at risk of deconverting from Christ altogether. Paul is saying, what these troublemakers are telling you will make you a real Christian. It's weak and worthless. It can't do for you what they're telling you it can do for you. And worse yet, not only will accepting this slavery not make you a full Christian, it's tantamount to walking away from Christ altogether. He says, yet you've already started to follow them. And he worries that his labor has been in vain. Guys, we have to be so careful because like the Galatians, we could easily find ourselves in a situation where what is offered to us as a means of becoming real Christians or full Christians or mature Christians might just be a different kind of slavery. And taking it on might actually lead us to essentially deny 
the gospel. We can have clarity and simplicity that comes with slavery, but it costs us our freedom in Christ and our relationship with God and our belonging among his people. And we've, we've seen this. I've seen it in people that I'm close to, and I, here's how it often goes. One, we become convinced that faithful Christianity means holding to a certain set of convictions, right? And it's good, and it's okay, and it's right to have convictions, you know, things that the Bible is not clear about. It's good to have convictions. But the second step is that you then hold other people to your convictions. And you say, this isn't just what I believe I need to do to be faithful to Christ, but this is what I believe you need to do to be faithful to Christ. And if you don't do it, you're less than a real or full Christian. You've become a Judaizer at that point. Right? You're saying, not only do I want to follow my convictions, but if you want to be a real Christian, you also have to follow my convictions. Now, we've got not just the gospel, but the gospel plus something. Jesus plus something is required for salvation. And then there's a third step. And most of the people I know who have elevated those convictions to the same level of the gospel have eventually taken a third step, which is where they just functionally drop the gospel altogether. And all they're left with is those secondary things that they got really passionate about. And what Paul says about those things, verse 9, is they're weak and they're worthless. When you add any kind of conviction to the same level of the gospel, you're emptying the gospel of its power and you're replacing it with something that's weak, that's impotent, that, can't, that has no strength, that can't accomplish anything. In and of itself, you're replacing it with something that's worthless. The, the word literally means it doesn't have any money. It doesn't have any value. It doesn't have any worth. It can't contribute anything to you. These things have no power to save us or to set us free. We have to be so careful because only the gospel can set us free. Jesus plus nothing, as we've said in Galatians, Jesus plus nothing is everything, but Jesus plus anything is nothing. We have to hold on to Jesus. Don't turn back, as Paul says, from the gospel.